You're, you're so gracious, and you've been so kind during this season. I think during this season, we have surprised a lot of people. One of my really good friends, he said to me, he said, hey, man, I want you to know something. I said, okay. He said, I do not like your sermons recently. I said, okay. And he said, I don't disagree with you. I, I don't at all. In fact, I agree with you, and I just want you to know I don't like them because they're challenging me. They're pushing me in my understanding of Jesus and who Jesus is because what we've been doing for the past three going on four weeks is we are we are truly deconstructing what what would be a social cultural um, denominational convenient Jesus of what we would just kind of assume that Jesus is and who he is and we are from his own words from his own sermon, really seeing exactly who he is. And as my friend has shared and others have shared, my challenge is I feel like um, what I've been culturally taught or denominationally taught or just have grown up learning about Jesus doesn't exactly match what I'm learning about him now from his own words in his own season. And I'm finding a bit of a challenge in it, and I'm finding a tension in it. And that's a really good thing. But here's what has to happen. You have to be, as you have been, incredibly gracious and incredibly willing to receive and hear what the Lord wants to you to speak, what the Lord wants to speak to you, so that you can gain what He has for you during the season, even if it makes you mad. Even if it's, and I love, Alan used to say this all the time, don't get mad, get scripture. If you don't agree with it, find in the word of God where it says, you find me a place that totally blasts the nine beatitudes and says that's not Christian character, that's not the Christian ethos, that's not how we should live and carry out our life to live out the kingdom message, and I'll receive it, and I will repent and stand here publicly before everybody and apologize for misusing the word of God. The challenge is you won't. So then you become, you, you come to this place right here, and, and here's where I want to build up to and, and prepare us for this, okay? So what, what we do is we begin to see Jesus through the lens of what we, what we value, what culturally we feel like he should be, or through the lens of people that we follow. So we begin to come up with this Jesus in our mind. And I can tell you, I'll tell you what the first century church thought of Jesus. One, they, uh, they thought he hung out with tax collectors and sinners, and they weren't thrilled about that at all. They saw him heal on the Sabbath, and they condemned him for it. He was hated by the religious right and just about every powerful empire in the world. He was, in every sense, he was radical, he was counter-cultural, and he did not make sense according to what everyone thought he should be. Sounding familiar during this season, right? So we take Jesus, and we see Jesus through the lens of how we want to see him. And then that's how we worship him. And then that's how we craft our lives. And it comes out in ways, and, and I had a really wise pastor tell me one time, if, if you're offending one side all the time, you're not doing the right thing. Jesus offended everybody. So I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay? 
So I'm, I'm not just going to offend one group of people all the time, over and over. I'm just going to offend everybody, right? That's a real great strategy to win friends, influence people, and build up a congregation. But here you go. So, so some would see Jesus as an, an angry Republican with a pitchfork and a sign that says, heal our land, repent, we need Jesus to come back so that we can be healed and restored and renewed, right? And they would say, that's my Jesus. And since that's my Jesus, that's how I'm going to act. Then you have another group that would say, well, my Jesus is a woke social justice warrior, and he's going to abolish all forms of power and governmental structure. He's going to get rid of the police. We're all just going to sit in the lotus position, drink decaf tea, and talk about how great the world is, right? And, and Jesus is not any of those things. And the challenge is when we, when we begin to see who Jesus really is. I'm sorry, I just had this flashback in my mind. We're talking about the Jesus that I want, the Jesus that I want. I want little baby Jesus. No, I want my Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. On, no, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> Only some will capture that. And those that, that don't, you're more righteous than I. <laughs> the challenge we run into is that when we have crafted this vision of Jesus that doesn't match up who he is when we read from his sermon, his words, who he's called us to be, we have to answer a very important question. Because Jesus came to earth and he claimed to be a lot of things, but he never claimed to be anything less than God. Saying, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. God's son, he came to earth as God, equal with God. That's why they crucified him, because he claimed to be equal with God. So Jesus has come to earth, and Jesus is God. We can, whether or not you choose to believe that, it's true. Jesus is God. The question you have to answer is this, is Jesus my God? Jesus is God, whether or not we want to affirm that. The question you answer is, is Jesus my God? And if the, answer to, yeah, if the answer to that question is yes, Jesus is my God, then I am telling you, there is no more important sermon that you can receive than this one, not the one that I'm preaching, Matthew 5 through 7. Because the next question is, after you say, Jesus is my God, is, okay, we've got it answered. That, and that's, by the way, you want to get down to real brass tacks. Why are you here today? It's to answer that question. If you haven't already, that is the question you will have to answer. And you will answer it either by rejection or either by affirmation. But make no mistake, that is the question to mankind is, is Jesus your God? And if the answer to that is yes... The next question is, okay, what does Jesus want me to do? That's it. If Jesus is my God, then what does Jesus want me to do? I'm so glad that you asked. Enter Sermon on the Mount. The first thing that he gives us is a new Moses with a new message to the new me. We talked about this week one, that Jesus is the new Moses and the better Moses, that he has a new message, and it is a kingdom message, a life in his presence empowered by the Holy Spirit to the new me that has been saved, that has been renewed, that has been transformed, right? The second week, we have the Beatitudes. That is the ethos of Christian character. What does a great Christian look like? What does a follower of Jesus look like? What should I look like? What should I do? 
do? What should I long for? What should I pray for? What do I need to see more of in my life? There's nine of them, Matthew 5, 3 through 12. And then we roll into 5, 13 through 16, salt and light. He says, now, now here's the Beatitudes. This is what Christian character looks like. Now, here is what you are. If you are searching for identity, who am I? What, what, what do I do? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's who you are, okay? So we build up to this point. Now Jesus finishes out the rest of, the, the rest of chapter 5, some of chapter 6, and a little in chapter 7. And in the rest of chapter 5, he gives us six examples, okay? And all six of these examples are taking what he has been teaching in the Beatitudes and in being the light of the world, and he brings it straight up against culture. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to take the principle that we talked about today, the spirit of what we talked about today, and I want you to hold it up against culture because it's exactly what Jesus does. He says, you have heard, but I tell you. Six different times in all six of these examples. He says, you have heard is, here is what the Mosaic law has taught you. This is what you have heard. This is what you have grown up. We were just talking about the, the Jesus that I've created in my mind. This is what you've thought about Jesus, but I tell you, here is exactly what you really need to know. He is going from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. After all, what did he leave us after he left? It is the spirit. What is the kingdom message? It's life in his presence, empowered by the spirit. He is shifting his people from external obedience to internal transformation. The, we have to catch this. We have to drive this down. Is it is no longer about, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. The, the six examples that he gave. Well, I didn't kill anybody today. I didn't cheat on my wife today. I didn't blow up and, and, and you know, cause any sort of ruckus today. Hey, you took that from me. You owe me this back. And, you know, on and on and on. He's saying it's not about the letter of the law. It is the spirit of the law. And when you're walking with the spirit of the law, something changes right here. It's not read my Bible, prayed, checked the boxes, and then I would jerk the rest of the day. That's, not, that's the letter of the law. Well, I did what I thought I was supposed to do. No, it's the spirit of it. If you read and you pray and it doesn't transform the way you walk in your daily life and you're still the same person, if you walk in there on Sunday, one guy, and walk out on Monday, a different guy, it's not, well, I went to church and checked that box. It's not happening right here. This is exactly what he's going at. He's saying, you, you may think that you do everything that you need to do. After all, Mosaic Law is based on a list of rules. And you may be doing them great, but nothing is changing in you. And until something changes in you, you are nothing more than salt that has sat on the shore for far too long and become contaminated and decayed. And now you're putting it with stuff that you think is good, and it's just causing more Destruction has to happen here. In fact, I love what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. This is such a good passage of Scripture. He said, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, 
but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In other words, he's saying the list of rules that you just have to do, that you think just make you what you need to be, that kills. It drives you crazy. It leads you to legalism, or it leads you to completely giving up and changing your way. He's saying the Spirit gives life. It puts something in you that is living and breathing and active. Let, let me try to illustrate this for you. So uh, I've got these birds at my house that have been swooping down at me. I'm talking full-on attack mode. I was in my driveway, and I felt something on the back of my head, and I thought, what? And I looked up, and it was this bird zipping around here. My wife, Anna, called me, freaking out. She was like, Zala, can I ever get in the car? We got attacked. I was like, what? What happened? She said, yeah, these birds flew out of the tree. I was like, lead with birds, not attacked, okay? Start with the birds and then tell me you were attacked. But these birds are crazy. So, um, you know, you, you come at me on my own property and I'm taking life, right? <laughs> Something's fixing to die. So I called my friend. I said, hey, you got a BB gun? Because I can't shoot a, a gun in my neighborhood. I said, hey, you got a BB gun? He said, oh, yeah, no problem. <clears throat> he drove it by our office and dropped it off on Thursday in the back of my truck. And so he put it back there. I forgot about it. Next day, Friday mornings, I take my kids to school, okay? So my son is ready, and I told my son, I said, hey, bud, you go to the truck, and I'm going to get Sissy in the backpacks, and I'll meet you there. So he goes. He gets in the truck. I get the backpacks. Get my daughter. We're walking around. I get to the side. I haven't, I haven't told you this, by the way. And I'm, yeah. Moving on, Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> It just clicked with me. Yeah, there, was, there was a reason. It was too good of a sermon illustration. But anyway, so he's, he's in that. And I opened up the door, and I was messing with the backpack, and I was getting some, and I heard, hey, Dad. And it was that, hey, Dad, that you know something, something's not right. And I looked up, and there was a barrel of a BB gun in the center of my forehead, and my five-year-old son was standing there smiling ear to ear like gotcha. <laughs> and I looked at him like this, and I said, son, put the gun down now. And he was like, w -w 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 and I was like, put it down now. This is your last warning, right? So he puts the gun down, and I took it, and I went, and I put it, and I, I hid it somewhere where he'll never find it. And then I got in my truck, and I thought, now is a good time to teach gun safety to a five-year-old. So uh, he says to me, he says, Daddy, why'd you have the gun? And I said, well, there's some bad birds at the house. And he was like, yeah. And I said, so I'm going to shoot the bad birds. And he said, oh, he said, cool. Can I, shoot, can I shoot some birds? And I said, no, but we only shoot the bad birds. And then he said, well, can we put those bad birds on our wall like the animals that Bryant has? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll put, them, we'll put the bad birds on our wall. And then he says to me, okay, Daddy. He says, so we only shoot things that are bad. And I said, yeah, that's right, son. And he said, okay. He said, what about bad guys? And I was like, well, if they do something really bad. And he was like, okay, Dad, but then can we put the bad guys on our wall? And I said, no, 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 like this is not trending in the direction I thought it was going to trend. And I said, okay, here, listen to me, boy. I said, I had to reroute, right? And I said, here's what you need to hear me say. You, you need to understand the spirit behind what I'm saying. 
what you had in your hands has the power to do massive destruction and damage. And you need to know this is not a little thing. This is not a light thing. This is a small thing. And as a little boy, you never pick up a gun without a grown-up until you have a grown-up with you to show you what to do so that you're safe and you're okay. This is a really, really, really big deal. You see what I'm trying to do? We started with rules. Yes, shoot things that are bad. Okay, let's put the bad guys on our wall. And the rules weren't working. It just wasn't computing. So then I said, I've got to communicate the spirit of this. He has to know this is a very, very serious deal. It's not about what do I shoot that's good, what do I shoot that's bad. It's about the fact that you are holding something in your hands that has the power to completely rearrange your future and the future of somebody else. You have to know the spirit behind this. You know what he said? He said, Daddy, you remember when I was riding my scooter and that bad dog came chasing me? And I said, yeah. He said, can we put that bad dog on our wall too? He's <laughs> like, son, you're not, you're not grasping it. But that's, that's, that's what he's doing here. This is what Jesus is doing. We're going to break these six examples up over three this week and three next time that we approach them. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying it's not about the rules. It's not about the rules that you've been taught. It is the spirit behind them. You have to capture the spirit. Okay, are you ready? Three this week, three next time we're in. Number one is anger. Yeah, it's the reaction I figured you'd give me. <laughs> Yay, can we talk about being mad? Right? Anger. Matthew 5, 21 through 26. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. There you go. Here's what you have heard. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, an, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means worthless person, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if, an offering, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and, the, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid every last penny. You have heard it was said, do not murder. That comes from Numbers 35, verse 30. It was the teaching that they had received. Anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of witnesses, but no one is to be put to death on the testimony of one witness. So they've been taught, don't kill anybody, right? And so as long as they don't kill anybody, I can be mad at you, and I can be frustrated with you, and I can be annoyed with you, and I can be ticked off at you, and I can have resentment towards you, and I can be bitter with you, and I can be upset with you, right? Because, hey, I haven't killed anybody today, so I think I'm doing pretty good. And Jesus is coming, and he is saying, the spirit of this is, thank God you haven't killed anybody. He's saying, the spirit of this is what is in your heart against a brother. What is causing you to be frustrated, to be annoyed, to be bubbling with anger towards someone? And here's what you need to catch. This is, is surprising to me, and I'm going to walk you through an Old Testament illustration of it. He says, if you are coming to worship, 
and you recognize that in your heart you have something against your brother, put God on hold. Tell God to hold on because there's something more important to handle. There's something more important for you to resolve. Now listen to me, don't make this a rule. Right? We're talking about the spirit of the law. Not the, so don't be sitting here thinking, oh, great, I just sang four worship songs and I'm mad at my uncle. Now i got to go and I can't come back and worship again until I go and I resolve with my uncle. And if I come in here angry, no, that, that's exactly what he's trying to stop. Making a rule out of everything. It's the spirit of it. It's the spirit of living your life with anger and resentment and bitterness and frustration towards somebody. Let me, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breeze through it. The scriptures are in your sermon notes if you use the app or you watch them online. Uh, Saul went through this exact same thing. Saul was anointed king by Samuel. And by the way, let's, let's be Jews for a moment, okay? Because Jews are going to know this story. Jews are going to resonate with this story, okay? Saul was anointed king by Samuel. And one of the first things that God told Samuel to tell Saul to do was to destroy the Amalekites. He said, I want you to go and I want you to destroy everything with the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 3. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they were in the wayward land of Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Skip down verses 9 through 11. Saul goes to war, and as he goes to war against the Amalekites, it says that he kept all the good things, but he destroyed all the bad things. In fact, it says that, uh, but Saul and the army spared Agag and went to the best sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. God says, Saul, destroy it all. Saul said, hmm, stuff looks too good to destroy. We'll just keep it and we'll give it to the Lord and we'll destroy everything that's bad. Samuel finds out about it. Samuel's livid. Samuel goes to Saul and he confronts Saul. And listen to what he says, bottom of verse 15. He says, no, 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 I, I like this better. Let's stay at 13. When Samuel reached him, he said, Saul said to him, listen to Saul. Do we have it, guys? I know I'm jumping all over the place on you. Hey, give him a hand. Way to go. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, isn't this funny? Saul has done exactly what the Lord told him not to do. And yet he shows up and he says, hey, Samuel, good to see you. Guess what? And he says, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Isn't that funny? Changed it a little bit. Kept a few things that I thought would be valuable to keep, you know. But by and large, I've really done what God wants me to do. But Samuel said, what is that bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is that lowing of cattle that I hear? The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Verse 16, he says, enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And here you go. This is what we need to catch. First Samuel 15, 22. Throw it up there, guys. Two, one, go. I love you so much. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. 
It's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't, don't come to me with all of this worship, with anger and bitterness and resentment and frustration and annoyance and hatred in your heart. Pause your worship and fix it with your brother. Put me on hold. Don't talk to me until you talk to them. I call a lot of people uh, on my phone. And when I call my friends, they, they usually have something smart aleck to say, like, oh, man, preacher's calling me. The mall food court must be lonely right now, you know, or something like that, right? But then uh, there are some that still respect the messenger of the Lord, if you will. And usually it's new people that I've never talked to before. And so I'll talk to one of them on the phone, and I'll say, hey, this is Pastor Luke from the Ark. And they'll say, oh, my gosh, Pastor Luke, thanks so much for calling me. I'm feels good, you know? Yeah, no problem, right? And I called this guy. It was really funny. Uh, he and I are friends now, but at the time, he had just started coming to church. I called him about a form that he had filled out, and I said, hey, man, uh, how are you? This is Luke from the Ark. He said, oh, my gosh, Pastor Luke, yes, I'm great. How are you? And I could hear, like, a lot of noise in the background, you know, and all of the sound and everything. And, and I said, hey, man, did I catch you at a good time? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, no problem. He said, it's my daughter's, uh, my daughter's recital, and she She's in the middle of performing, and she's got the lead role, but no, I just stepped out of the room real quick. It's no big deal. I talked to the pastor, whatever you need. And I was like, dude, hang up the phone with me and go to your daughter's recital. I don't, and I was like, get off the phone. You don't need to be talking to me. That's more important. And he said, oh, okay, oh, well, no, no, no. I, I, hang up the phone and go to your daughter's recital. Call me later on. He said, okay. And he said, hey, but by the way, man, I just want you to know, last Sunday sermon, I shut up and get off the phone. You don't need to be talking to me when you got something like that happening, right? It's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you got problems with another brother, go handle that. Go put yourself in the center of that. Go invest in that. Worship later. Come to me later. Make offerings to me later. Fix what's going on with a brother. The first thing is anger. It's not enough to just say I didn't kill anybody. Is there anger in your heart? Is there bitterness in your heart? The second one is revenge. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The, he says, do not resist an evil person. It's really simple to understand what he's saying. The Greek word for resist is antistomy. It means antithesis. It's where we get the English word antithesis. He's saying, don't make every person that you encounter that's not like you or that doesn't doesn't think like you or act like you or talk like you don't make them your antithesis mosaic law was eye for an eye tooth for a tooth it was exodus 21 verse 24 and what they had done you have to understand that command eye for an eye tooth for a tooth was only in mosaic legislation it was only reserved for the judges Here's what happened, and it was given to the judges to calm people taking law and order into excess into their own hands. So they, they instituted this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, because what would happen was somebody would steal from you and you would kill them. They'd be like, whoa, this is out of hand. 
This is an excess. We need to calm this excess of order that you're trying to institute, and we need you to do this. If someone steals from you, you just, you just get back from them what they took. They took an apple, you don't kill them. They took an apple, they owe you an apple, right? It was to calm this thing that was happening. The problem is the children of Israel took it so far out of context that they brought it into their personal relationships. And then within their personal relationships, everything and everyone was their antithesis. You took my seat, I'm taking your seat next week. You want to park in my spot in the parking garage, I'm parking in your spot next week. You want to take that from me, I'm taking that from you. You want to take an apple from me, I'll take an apple from you. You took a pistachio from me, you owe me a pistachio. And their whole lives turned in to this arguing back and forth. You know, Anna and I, and thank the Lord she's not in here on this one or I'd be in trouble again, right? Anna and I can't do two things. We can't play games against each other. Far too competitive. It's just not good for my marriage. And I, I realize that 10 years in, we don't compete against each other in games. The second thing we don't do is we don't share a dessert. We, we cannot do it. And here's what happens when we share dessert. I learned this lesson early on. Usually they'll give you a piece of dessert Right, and we would we would even mark a line down the center of it with a, with a butter knife. But the only problem is they give you like one spot of whipped cream, right? You don't get two. So then you, you take one spot out of my side, and then we're fork fighting over here over the whipped cream, and we're we're trying to take from the edge. And we just we can't share a dessert. We have to get our own. So the other night uh, we blacked out and ordered a carrot cake and a piece of cheesecake from Saltgrass. Like just blacked out. Didn't know what happened. All of a sudden we ordered two desserts, and they come and we we're like, hey. Let's split these. Okay, great. And their desserts are like family portions, right? They're just massive, right? So I cut the cheesecake in half. She cut the carrot cake in half. And we exchanged half and half. And the first thing that she said is, your, your half's bigger than my half, and you got more icing on your side. Like, well, fine. You want, here, you want, you want the piece with the, No, no, no. I want the, And hey, no, I get the raspberry sauce. You get, you get the white chocolate. No, I want the white chocolate. I want the raspberry sauce. And we, we started, you know, these little back and forth, and then all of a sudden. And here's what happened. About 10 minutes later, we were both so disgustingly full and overwhelmed, and we had dessert left everywhere. There was cheesecake, there was carrot cake, there was icing, there was whipped cream, there was stuff everywhere. And we were looking at each other and we were like, wasn't it so silly that we were arguing over that? That like we were fighting over who got what piece and what slice, but we do these, this is what he's saying, it's not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth all the time. It's not that's mine, that's yours. When you realize what you have, there is grace for you. There is grace for you to say, it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want. It's not all about what I desire. He's saying it's not so much eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's how can you love a brother? How can you care for a brother? And then he finishes here. Matthew 5, 43 through 47. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's really hard to do. I, I will tell you, that's really, really hard to do and probably one of the most liberating things that you can do at the same time. To pray for those who talk bad about you, to pray for those who have hurt you, to pray for those who have betrayed you, to pray for those who have said untrue things about you, to pray for those who have lied and gossiped about you. But he says, you've heard, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I'm telling you, pray for those people. That, your children, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, 
what reward will you get? Are you not even the tax are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. This is really interesting to know in Jewish culture. The love your neighbor comes from Leviticus 19:18. That's a simple command, love your neighbor. Hate your enemy comes from when they entered into the promised land. As they entered in, the Lord told them there were several groups of people that weren't to be trusted. He told wipe the Canaanites off the face of the planet. He said literally to exterminate the Canaanites. And I think it was, yeah, the Amorites, the Moabites, and the Midianites, they're not to be treated with kindness. So the children of Israel enter into the promised land, and they're told don't trust these groups. And they misinterpreted that into my neighbor is a Jew, and anyone who is not a Jew is not my neighbor. So now they went around, and if you were Jewish, you were part of the club. If you weren't Jewish, you were rejected. I've walked the streets of Israel. I've been there before. The people who hated me the most were the Hasidic Jews. They spit at my feet. They wouldn't move for me when I was walking down the sidewalk. They just, if you're not a Jew, they don't like you. This is why the Jews were despised. So neighbor meant only a Jew. And they were taught in Jewish culture that you show love to Jews and everyone else is your enemy. So now you have Jesus coming to them and saying, you've heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What he's really saying there is, you have heard, love those who are like you and hate those who aren't like you. And yet he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, can you step out of the bubble that you live in, the culture that you surround yourself in, and the people that are like you and love somebody who is not like you. And what does he say is the result? You will be children of God. Can you step out of your culture? Can you step out and greet a new neighbor? I, I was watching this show, uh, and we'll land here. I was watching this show of a guy who had an extreme case of agoraphobia. He was horrified to leave his own home. And so he had been in his home for 25 years, never set foot outside. He had no internet. He had one phone, old rotary phone landline, and he was absolutely terrified to leave his place. And one day he was sitting in his house, and his windows were slightly open, and he was looking out his window, and at the condo across the street, there was a couple, and you could tell they were arguing, and their blinds were open. And as they were arguing, the man turns, and then all of a sudden, you see the man kill the woman inside of the condo. And he witnesses this murder. And then all of a sudden, there's the police show up at the scene. All of these things are happening. And he's watching the news every day. And he's in this position where he has witnessed something terrible. He knows he has the power to make a difference. But he is terrified to step out of the door of his house and do something about it. So the whole show is hinging on this tension of this man who has extreme anxiety, and he knows he can make a difference. He knows he can do something incredible. He knows he can solve this and rid the fears of everybody and, and resolve this person's life. And he's, he's always stepping up to his door, and he's, he's going like this, and he just can't bring himself to step out of the only place he feels comfortable. Well, long story short, a detective decides to go across the street, makes friends with the guy, he talks to him through the door, and then he finally figured out what was going on, and he asked him this. He said, do you have enough courage 
to take the step to make a difference? So do you have enough courage to take one step, to step out of here, to come to the police station, to testify, to step onto the stand, and he does it, and it's this liberating, beautiful thing. But oftentimes, I wonder the same question for us. Do we have the courage to just step out? Do we have the courage to just step out, out of something familiar, something comfortable, and something we know, to something we don't, to say, you can become my neighbor? To love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We'll talk about it in a couple weeks. This is the heart of what Jesus is getting at. When he says, can you love your neighbor, he's not talking about next door. He's talking about someone that doesn't look like you. He's talking about someone who doesn't talk like you. He's talking about someone who doesn't act like you. He's talking about someone who doesn't come from the background that you come from, from the socioeconomic background that you come from. He's saying, do you have the courage to love somebody different? That's the heart of the gospel. 